I have had a special request for a cold open. And by which I mean, I have been asked to, on the podcast, talk about Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> oh my god. Specifically annoy you guys about Astarian once again. Is that the guy from your Discord profile? Of course it is. That's her vampire daddy. No, 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 no. The like <laughs> elf druid Halson. I haven't played this game, but like he's got face he scars. He is very hot, right? <laughs> he's a total sweetheart, and he turns into a bear. Ooh. But oh my god, a bear, Asterian. Okay, dibs. He is a sad vampire with scars on his back, obviously, because he is a vampire spawn, and he's not like he basically belongs to another vampire who treats him like shit and feeds him rats and like other vermin instead of actual food. Oh, he is right up your alley. He is right up my alley. Like, <laughs> when I saw that Tumblr post that was like, do you sometimes fall in love with a fictional guy and you're like, no one's gonna be surprised when I announce this is my new guy of the week. Yeah. I'm sure everyone yeah. here was like, that checks out, that's the one Lady's into. Yep. yep, that makes sense. That was the least fucking surprising thing you I could know. have ever told me. Yeah, when I first saw the screenshot of him like in the gamer channel that we have, I was like, this tracks. This <laughs> yep. is Lady to a T. You meet him for the first time, he puts a knife to your throat. I'm like, mm, I'm in love. Oh. <laughs> it's like he, they literally put catnip yes. for you. In this He's fucking sad. He has scars on his back that someone else made to torture him. He is a sex worker. He is has a complicated relationship to sex. I'm just like, mm, my boy. I love him. I want to wrap him in a blanket. I feed him some. I guess feed him blood because he's a vampire. But like, mm. <laughs> but yeah, Hansen's pretty hot too. Well, now <laughs> I want to buy this game. Yeah, you all have to play this game. I had like a 45 minute long discussion with my friend's husband a couple weeks ago about how badly I wanted this fucking game. And it, it does not get any more tolerable that I do not own. I see, I see my friends on Steam like slowly getting it and getting sucked in. So I'll have like someone who didn't have the game for the first month and now they got it and they're already like 60 hours into it. And I'm like, yup, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> what, what system you played on your computer? Yeah. Just remind me next summer, you know. Yep, I will. I know you will. <laughs> well, thank you for that indulgence about your about your new man. I wish I had a man to offer you this episode, okay. but I don't. Aww. I do. I'm not running out of fictional men. They're all sad and pathetic. No, they grow them for you in a farm mm -hmm. somewhere. <laughs> They're like factory farmed specifically for you. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to my podcast, Knows What You Read in the Dark, a book club podcast made by chaotic people for chaotic people. I'm B. I'm Caitlin. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lady. And we are four friends here to tell you what's what about the books we read and loved this month or the books we hated this month. And let me tell you, Caitlin has been spamming the group chat, like chomping at the bit, gnashing her teeth to tell us about her book. Oh, I can't wait to know what it is. I know. And apparently, for those of us who have been sleep deprived this month and are just feeling exhausted, Caitlin said that the first sentence is going to wake us up. So, Caitlin. I have been really, really excited to talk about this, mostly because of the intro I'm, I get to do to this book. I could not wait to record this week. And we're just gonna fucking go into it. Um, I actually read this book before our last recording, and I've been waiting a calendar month 
to get to say the series of sentences that are about to oh come God. out of my mouth. <laughs> How did you survive? Just the buildup. <laughs> if you are a connoisseur of fine literature, you are very familiar with such titles as Space Raptor Butt Invasion. <gasps> Oh god. Crammed in the butt by my handsome living corn and slammed in the butt by my linear concept. Did of you time, read Camp of Damascus? Which are just a few titles among many magnificent works by Chuck <laughs> Tingle. And yes, I did read Camp Damascus. Ooh, I'm so excited. So, for those of you who don't know, Chuck Tingle is an anonymous author who writes a variety of short-form gay erotica novels that usually involve a love interest that is some form of anthropomorphized inanimate object, animal, or abstract concept. Um, he also writes satirical erotica pieces that feature parodies of celebrities, politicians, or anthropomorphic versions of controversial topics. Like, he has one that is uh, oppressed in the butt by my inclusive holiday cup <laughs> um, about the Starbucks cup controversy a few years ago. He tends to have these like really silly concepts but they're genuinely really well written and have some kind of <laughs> unexpectedly wholesome message towards the end of the novel or novella excuse me chuck tingle typically writes protagonists who are cisgendered gay or bisexual men but he also has a variety of novels featuring other kinds of queer couples and he is a huge proponent of transgender rights he's actually written a transgender parody of harry potter just to piss off known transphobe jk rowling which is a level of pettiness I think all of us can aspire to. Bought immediately. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's bisexual. He's on the autism spectrum. He claims to have a doctorate in holistic massage from DeVry University, which is a degree that school does not offer. I was going to say, that doesn't sound real, but I no. appreciate it. <laughs> Basically, he is a god among men. In this house, yes. we love and respect Chuck Tingle. If you don't follow him on any social media, like, you should. He is you an should. absolute delight. He is. He is a force for, like, positivity. I just really love him. Yeah, he's the best. Now that everyone is properly educated, uh, let's talk about Chuck Tingle's first full-length horror novel, Camp Damascus. Oh, this is a horror novel? Yeah, it is. This is not what I expected. Okay. Yes. He has a short story that came out a couple years ago called Straight. I believe it was published in 2021. That is a horror novella. But this is his first full-length horror novel. And this is a... I mention it later, but this is actually a part of a two-book deal that he has with Tor Books. The next book comes out next year. It's titled Barrier Gaze. It's another horror novel, which I will absolutely be reading as well. I would like to start off this book report with something that's always great for an audio medium, and that is sending a picture of the book cover to our group chat so my fellow hosts can see how <laughs> yes. severely the cover fucks for this book. It is in our general chat, if you want to go peruse yes. that for a second. Ooh, oh my. Dude, this is wicked. Yeah, it's super good. So for those of you listening or anybody that is too lazy to look up the cover themselves... Uh, it features a scenic vista of a campground with several cabins in the front, one of which is emanating an eerie blue light. There are trees lining the area behind the cabins. And beyond the trees where you would typically expect to see like mountains is the bottom half of a face. You can see the nose and a mouth dropped open in a scream as a swarm of mayflies like swarm out of the mouth. It's such a good cover. At first glance, it does not look like a like a mouth. I th I thought it was no. a mountain. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it took me a couple of times looking at it to realize that it's not a mountain range. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a mouth. It is so good. It's incredible. Anyways, now that that is over. <laughs> Camp Damascus is the story of Rose Darling, a 20-year-old young woman who lives in a seemingly idyllic religious community, Kingdom of the Pines, in rural Montana. Rose and her family are devout members of Kingdom of the Pines, a sect of Christianity established around someone named Prophet Kobol and his religious teachings. Kingdom of the Pine is famous for Camp Damascus, the only queer conversion camp in the country that boasts a 100% success rate. Oh my god. At the start of the novel, strange things have begun happening to Rose, such as these random ice-cold chills she feels all over her body at, at random intervals throughout the day. A woman that no one but Rose can see that has long, dark hair and grotesque, spindly fingers seems to be following her. Uh. She appears everywhere, even going so far as to break into Rose's house one night. Oh no. But again, nobody but Rose can see her. And then, as it is alluded to on the cover, Rose vomiting a swarm of mayflies all over her spaghetti dinner one night. Yo, say less. I want to read this book like yesterday. Dude. I'm sorry, this has got lady written it all really does. over it. Dude, we have only just begun. So, none of these events seem connected to Rose until she sees an ad on television. Oh, by the way, in this weird religious, like, kind of compound that they live on, she talks about how they only have, like, four church-approved channels or something like that. It's <laughs> super weird. And the thing is, getting a perspective from a character like this where this is normal to her, it's not at all, like... In any way does she think that these kinds of things are strange. She thinks the, even the kids that uh, she interacts with that are not a part of Kingdom of the Pines, that are secular kids, they're still, like, religious, but they're not a part of Kingdom of the Pines. She thinks they're weird for, like, listening to regular music and, like, watching horror movies and stuff. Like, everything about her world is normal to her, and the text definitely reflects that. It, like, really sets the scene a lot of the time for this indoctrination she has so so deep in her mm. when rose sees this ad on television for camp damascus she recovers a memory she doesn't remember making um, it's a memory of her and another girl eating together at a diner she initially brushes this off as rose does not recognize this girl doesn't know her and she's never been to camp damascus but when tragedy strikes at a friend's birthday party she begins to question her family her faith and even her own mind the more that Rose questions the workings of the camp, and by extension, Kingdom of the Pines, the more the church, her community, and even her parents push back. But even still, Rose is determined to unlock all the secrets of Kingdom of the Pines and Camp Damascus, no matter what it may cost her. For a debut horror novel, this was pretty damn fucking solid. <laughs> um, there are a few small areas, I think, that could make it a little bit stronger and would have really knocked it out of the park for me. I'll touch on those briefly in, a, in just a little bit. But um, I want to take a second to talk about Rose as a character because the character work is out of this fucking world. Rose is a fantastic protagonist, especially for this particular kind of novel. Um, I'm pretty sure that you can guess based on the synopsis I just gave. This novel deals a lot with bigotry and the hate and intolerance that can fester within a tight-knit religious community like this one. Yeah. Rose suffers from this prejudice on two different fronts. Um, I don't really think it's a spoiler for her character, but I guess minor spoiler that Rose is queer. Um, what the hell else would this novel be about if she wasn't? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> it would be, it would be ridiculous if she wasn't. <laughs> yes. Um, 
I say minor spoiler because Rose herself does not know this at the beginning of the novel. It's a revelation she comes to later, and when she does, there is this amazing line from her internal monologue where she is talking about like not admitting this truth to herself out of her desire to still belong to her church community and her family, but that eventually I'll have to contend with the simple fact that the love I was promised is conditional. That's why I'm so fearful to open this drawer and see what's inside. Ouch. 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 It hurts a lot. Yeah, ouch. Ouch. Chuck Tingle, like, strips raw some of the universal experiences that queer people go through. Uh, A really, really in-depth exploration of, like, that feeling of becoming untethered with who you thought you were and coming to terms with who you might be that every, every queer person has gone through at some point in their lives. Not to mention exploring the trauma of growing up queer in a religious environment and wondering how faith and family fits into your life now, if they fit in at all anymore. It's that kind of the earth shifting beneath your feet when you know that the love you've been given your entire life is conditional on a false version of yourself. And the character work was out of this fucking world. So good. Because there's this relationship between Rose and her family of like, her family very much dotes on her and loves her, but the second that she acts the way they don't expect, their whole demeanor shifts and changes. And it's so, so prevalent in every interaction that they have together. You're being so tricky. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, get, we're going to keep on rolling. So. Oh, God. Uh, the other aspect of Rose's characterization that I really loved is Rose is on the autism spectrum. Yes. The other night, I was re-listening to parts of the audiobook that I had bookmarked, and I messaged you guys about this moment where she's talking about a note card she keeps in her pocket with conversational topics and anecdotes to use if she doesn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Girl, same. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. The most autism spectrum shit ever. Or, like, practicing conversations before you have them. Um... She info dumps at random moments and knows absolutely way too much about the history of root beer. Uh, (laughs) She has this really endearing habit of counting a specific pattern on her fingers to calm herself when she's in stressful situations or situations that make her uncomfortable. She, like, fidgets a lot. Her parents yell at her for it. They push really hard to stifle everything that is different about her. Any kind of outward difference. Not only do they try to stifle any kind of physical physical difference, but they also tell her that intelligence is a virtue, but curiosity is dangerous. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A bunch of other garbage rhetoric that shows that even at the beginning of the novel, when Rose is, for all intents and purposes, a straight girl, her parents' love is conditional on her acting the way they expect her to instead of how she really is. Rose is very much a the girls who get it, get it, and the girls who don't don't kind of character i can see where people would read her like random info dumps and side tangents and think it's just check tingle making an odd writing choice but as someone who is on the autism spectrum i saw her with a saw with a capital s we had Mm -hmm. that instant neurodivergence Mm -hmm. psychic connection Mm -hmm. going on i was like girl i got you i know what's (laughs) going on and like i said earlier chuck tingle is on the autism spectrum himself so it, it definitely reads as someone who is presenting an aspect of their own experience and not just talking out of their ass. I'm going to wrap it up here, but just briefly, a few of the things that I wish were a little bit different that might have made the novel a little bit stronger, in my opinion. 
I saw a few reviews where people were complaining that the book does not, in fact, actually take place within Camp Damascus itself, uh, which I kind of agree with. I definitely thought the book was great without the, you know, horror camp kind of setting. I definitely would have loved to see it set in the camp. We we do love a, go- a good um, horror camp. Yes. I know some people were really disappointed, especially considering that it's the title of the book and it's on the cover. They thought it was going to play a bigger role. And, I mean, it does. It's this underlying, like, presence kind of haunting the narrative the whole way through. Rose brings it up constantly, but it's just not the setting of the novel, and I think that disappointed a lot of people. The other issue I had was some of the events in the second half of the novel felt a little bit choppy. If the book was a little bit longer and he filled out some of those gaps, I think it would have been a little bit more cohesive. But honestly, I feel like that's something that happens in horror novels a lot. Because when you have horror as a visual format, like TVs, movies, video games, building a sense of suspense is much easier because you can use visual cues that don't need some kind of long-winded description or explanation. But when you're trying to build that terror in a novel format and resolve plot points at the same time, it can get really lengthy really quickly. And trying to shorten it down to a digestible format usually ends up either not delivering on the horror aspects, or plot devices kind of falling to the wayside. I don't think that the novel really suffered from any of the like choppiness in the second half. I just think that there could have been a little bit more bridge or filler in some of those scenes. Anyway, this was a solid four, four and a half stars for me. Yes. I just... <laughs> uh, Like I said, this is a part of a two-book deal with Tor Publishing, where uh, the second book is coming out in 2024, Bury Your Gaze. Based on that title alone, I'm in. I am Mm -hmm. fucking in there like swimwear. Have you seen the stuff that Chuck posted about um, Bury Your Gaze? No, I haven't. He posted that apparently people pre-ordered the book before there was an official summary reveal and then someone Uh basically like data mined the summary and posted it online and it's basically like it's basically the main character is called misha or something it is like super fucking like supernatural coded oh my god Uh, (laughs) yes (laughs) that's so so fucking funny i love the shade yeah apparently uh, it's it it got like it climbed pretty quickly in the amazon charts because of that because people just were like oh my god we need to buy this book king of shade (laughs) maximum riz god among men dr chuck tingle but yeah especially for somebody writing a a horror debut and i think he only has one full-length erotica novel like he mostly does short form novellas so for somebody who has one full-length novel and only and no full-length horror prior to this i thought it was really strong and I, lady, you will, I think you'll really like it. I think I might move it up my TBR, honestly. Yeah. Like, I've been trying to make a dent in my physical TBR, but I think I'm going to get the ebook for this. You should. Uh, the audiobook is narrated by Mara Wilson, aka Matilda. Ooh. Yes. Honestly, isn't that, yeah. AKA cool. the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home? Yes, the faceless old woman who secretly <laughs> lives in your home. We're two for two on Night Vale mentions now. We need to keep it going. Hell yeah. I've been reading The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home, so I have to mention it. Yeah, and with a title like that. I mean, our podcast title is really long, and that book title is really long, so I feel like it deserves a place on this podcast. Yes. Camp Damascus was 
awesome. I definitely recommend it. Even if you're not like a huge horror fan, I wouldn't say it's like super scary. It's definitely unsettling in some parts, but most of the horror kind of comes from that sense of not belonging and like losing your place in the world, which is uh shitty if I do say so. I'll say that's scarier than like yeah. a horror movie. Yeah. Like, that's scarier than a killer. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then add on to that a like creepy, grotesque looking woman with long spindly fingers who's following you around and nobody else can see. Like, uh yeah, I think that's pretty scary. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that that's plenty. You know, like this is not what I expected. Like, I didn't really know what you were going to talk about. And then when you started off with that Chuck Tingle, I was like, oh my god, this is going to be, like, a hilarious review, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I don't know. I got, like, pleasantly surprised. And then I was, like, looking at the cover and, like, reading stuff as you were talking. I'm like, this book sounds really good. Yeah. And, like, I'm not as into horror as you guys, but I do like to dabble in every once in a while. I'm definitely going to read this for October. Yes. Get ready to have your fucking soul stripped raw, though. Just FYI. I'll say, I feel like I'm going to have to be in a good place. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, sounds great. While you were talking, I was looking for this post because you mentioned like girls that get it and girls that don't. And it reminded yeah. me of this John Green post that I saw on Tumblr this week, which is a screenshot from one of his books on Goodreads. I'm pretty sure it's the, uh, the Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. And it's two screenshots. One of them is a five star that says... I honestly have no idea how to even begin articulating the spectacular miracle that is this book. It is both uplifting and sad, existential and comforting, thought-provoking and soothing, educational and entertaining. This book is everything and more in perfectly poetic prose. Simply put, this this is my new favorite book. I cannot recommend enough. And then just under it is a one-star review that says, feels like a random collection of useless information. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like exactly what this book is yeah. probably gonna be like. Yes. That is the Goodreads experience. Yeah, of a that's lifetime. exactly that's exactly what the caption is. Like the duality of Goodreads. Oh, the the funniest shit that I saw when I was going into the reviews for this book, where there were people in the reviews, honest to God, with their whole chest complaining about there being too much references to the Bible and religion. <laughs> and I was like, what, the, what? what? bro? You're reading it a says book. God fearing community yeah. in the synopsis you're reading a book about basically a cult in the montana wilderness that runs the country's most famous fucking conversion camp what the hell did you think was happening here mm -hmm. guys listen to this review it says dr chuck tingle pounds us buckaroos in the butt <laughs> with religious trauma and homophobia yes. and i'm here for it <laughs> hell yeah so yeah pounded in the butt by my own religious queer trauma by chuck tingle was a great Great horror novel to start off October with. This is going to be the title of the episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no way it's not. I will not allow it. What about your book, Kristen? Did it pound you in the butt? Um, it, well, no. But, and it's not really on the scary spectrum. I know, like, we had talked about doing, like, all horror for October. Nah, anything that fits the vibe. Well, well I'm, not even, I'm not even sure if it's the vibe, but... When I got this book, I just, like, I couldn't contain my excitement for it. So we're just going to go with it, and it's going to be great. Perfect. I'm really excited because the book that I'm talking about, um, I have been not so patiently waiting for it ever since I heard about it a couple of months ago. 
Um, I applied for an ARC for it, which at the time kind of felt ridiculous because I never dreamed that I'd even get approved for it. But then, to my absolute surprise, I woke up one day and I had gotten an email from NetGalley that I got approved. So I felt like it was my duty to talk about it here and give it all the love it deserves so that by the time it comes out, everyone will know how great it is and they can purchase it. Stop teasing me. Just tell me what it is. The book that I'm talking about today is A Fragile Enchantment by yes. Alice. Can I interrupt you for a second here? Because it was really funny. Kristen and I both applied for the arc of this book. And neither one of us said anything to the other about the fact that we had applied for the ARC. And it took a really long time for the response to come back. Normally... Oh, yeah, it took like a month. Yeah, anytime I apply for an ARC, I usually at least hear a rejection within like 48 hours. And I had not heard anything for weeks. So I assumed that I had just kind of gotten ghosted, that I didn't get it. And then the same day, we both got an email that we got the arc and Kristen texted me and said, I got a fucking arc of a fragile enchantment. And I texted her back and said, bro, me fucking too. Are you kidding me? Nice. It was hilarious. Maybe two days before this, Caitlin was talking about how like she was kind of pissed because she was getting like ghosted for an arc. Yeah. And she didn't tell me what it was. She just said like, I've been getting ghosted. I'm like, you know, that's happened to me like maybe once, but that is kind of rare. And then I swear two days later, we get this email. It was wild. Okay, you can continue now. Okay. <laughs> this book follows a magical seamstress named Neve who gets the job opportunity of the lifetime to make the wardrobe for the royal wedding in the neighborhood kingdom of Avalon. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Neve's magic is very unique in that she can sew memories and emotions into her clothes, which allows the person wearing it as well as those around them to feel what she does as she sews the garment. The entire novel plays out like an episode of Bridgerton or like any other Regency England story. There's garden parties and candlelit balls and scandal, obviously. There's a mysterious columnist who is spilling all the secrets um, about the court and putting all the, you know, drama and everything into paper so that, you know, the court can read about it. Um, Neve is a wonderful protagonist. She's soft and sweet and she cares so much about everyone and everything, but she obviously doesn't come without her flaws. She cares a little bit too much at times and doesn't know how to stop working even when it's detrimental to her own health and well-being. She ties all of her self-worth into how productive she's being, which I think we can Ouch. all relate to just a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, but she's strong and a fighter all the way through and she shines so much in this book. Something that I kind of want to bring up, and I didn't put it in my notes, but I just kind of thought of it, but Neve is really unlike the other protagonists that Allison Saft has written about, yeah. because in her other two novels, they're all very, like, strong, independent, like, um, I don't know how to say, like, they're women who don't take any shit. Okay. They're also women that have very much had to fend for themselves a lot of their lives. And she does, I mean, like, yes. she has a family to lean on. Even if she is considers herself, like, the sole caretaker, she is a family unit to, to lean on. And these other girls do not. Right. Like, they are very much on their own, providing for themselves. Like, it, it, it's very different. And even in that regard, like, the male uh, character protagonist, like, he's also... The polar opposite of the male, the male leads that we typically get from Alice. Such Staff. a bitch! Oh my god, yes. 
So while I do love Neve very much, the shining star is the sad, wet, and pathetic boy that we just talked about who is Kit Carmine. Kit is the grumpy crown prince of Avalon whose wedding Neve is actually designing the wardrobe for. And Kit does not want to get married. It's very much a political move rather than one out of love, which this typically happens with royal weddings. So not too surprising, but he just doesn't want any part of it. He's such the polar opposite of Neve. He's blunt and rude and abrasive. Um, he does care about people and his friends, but he hides it so deep down and it takes a very long time for you to even see it. And even when he does express his emotions in a way that shows he cares about someone, he's still being a fucking bitch about it. Oh, yeah. Your description is very Laurent coded. A little bit, yes. Ooh, yeah. He is, uh, yeah. there's one point where, um, she gets like dirt on her face and he was like can't you ever take like can't you ever be careful or whatever because he she had just tripped and then she got dirt on herself and he was like literally like yelling at her because he was worried that she was gonna hurt herself like he doesn't know how to express emotions that aren't sarcasm and hostility iconic i love him yeah there was a part too where he's talking to her about like he finally admits that he likes her and she like it's like teasing you know and being like can you say it again he's like you heard me the first time like, I'm not going to repeat it. And it's just like, he's such a little bitch. He is. Even whenever he's, like, trying to be caring. It's amazing. I love him so much. There's another part really early uh, where Kit and Neve are at a ball. <laughs> and Neve is trying to see over people to, like, look at a gown. She can't see. And so trying to help her, <laughs> Kit just, like, pokes the person in front of her on the back. and's like, hey, you, move. <laughs> Just, like, point blank, like, get out of the way. Like, not... (laughs) Like, he was trying to help her, but it just comes off so, like, abrasive because he doesn't know how to be polite. He's not even, like, talking to Neve at all. Like, he's basically pretending she doesn't exist. He just, like, out of the corner of his eye sees her trying to stand on her tiptoes to see around this person. And he, like, is like, you, move. And the person does. They fucking move out of the way. Yeah, and then, like, they don't say any more words to each other. Like, this whole interaction. Amazing. Yeah. It just embodies everything about Kit and how that even when he's trying to help you or even when he's telling you something that's like deep and emotional, it comes off as rude. And it's brilliant. I love the way that Allison wrote him because he is so perfect. I really enjoyed watching their love story play out. I would not call this enemies to lovers. I'm not even going to put that on there because they aren't enemies, but they don't get along for a lot of the book. They just are just... They live on two different spectrums here because where Neve is soft, Kit is rough. They just clash all the time. But at the same time, their compassion for their friends and loved ones runs really deep. And when they eventually fall in love, all their feelings have deep roots. But while I say that, it's a slow burn, like all of Alice and Staff's stories. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to wait and wait and wait. But once you get it, like I said, it has roots. It's going to take hold and it's going to it's gonna hurt. If you don't like slow way. burns, why are you here? No, exactly. We've been preaching about the importance of slow burns. Yeah. we. I think we preach about the captive prince enough t- for everyone to know that we're into slow yeah. burns. But yeah, in case you're this is your first episode you're listening to, if you don't like slow burn novels, please do not read anything that we recommend on this podcast. Just see yourself <laughs> out now. Yeah, you're not going to like it. Actually, read Prince of the Sorrows. That's not a slow burn. It's just very sad. There you go. Or like Stalking Jack the Ripper. That's not a slow burn. That's true. 
even like we're talking about the love story even beyond that there is like this little i don't want to call it a subplot i don't really know how to explain it but there's something going on in the background that kind of revolves around friendship and i really appreciated that you know you had this going on while also having like a romantic plot going on when Nee first arrives, she has this very strict expectation of what court life is going to be like, just based on things that she's heard in the, uh, in the kingdom that she came from. Um, but along the way, she meets, um, Kit's best friend, Sinclair, uh, a woman named Rosa, who's actually Kit's fiance, and Miriam, who is Rosa's handmaiden. And she develops the most pure, beautiful friendship with all of them. Sinclair is actually the first person that Neve even meets when she gets to court. And he's just so unlike the things that she thought court was going to be like. And they instantly hit it off. I think Sinclair approaches her because he knows her work and he's seen her gowns before. And so he just like walks right up to her, says, hi, like, I love your work, you know? And like, she even comments like, he's very fashionable and he looks really good. And like, they hit it off immediately and it just, it's, it's so pure. And I loved that Saft put like a big emphasis on friendship almost before she put one on romance. And it, it was really refreshing. Rosa's the fucking best. Oh, Rosa's amazing. Rosa is the fucking best. She is like the novel protagonist version of Lydia from Beetlejuice. I myself mm. am strange and unusual. She like, wants to be very dark and dour and serious all the time and like she asks Neve to make her a black wedding gown. She's the fucking me. Best. <laughs> yeah, she like hates the sun. She only wants to be in like cloudy, rainy weather. Yeah. She always wears black lipstick. Woman like, of all she's time. She's emo queen. Yeah. Love her. Love her. So before coming to Avalon, like Neve didn't really have any friends. Her commitment to constantly working left her in a place where she didn't have time to do anything that involved friends. So getting her idea of court upended by making friends with royals, as well as just other people in the court, like Miriam and everything, really helps her in finding herself and realizing that her worth isn't about the gowns that she makes. All of them really hammer into her that working yourself to death isn't a life worth living. You're worth more than that. And she's always been worth more and with her time being so limited, she should relax and slow down and take in the life that she has or it's all for naught. And again, this is a message that like everyone can take to heart. Oh, yeah. It's like the book slaps you in the face with it, too. It does. Like, it's just like constantly like smacking you around, trying to tell you like, stop working your life away. Go outside. Yeah. This book is just filled with all kinds of important messages. This one being my favorite one and that, you know, not, nothing's guaranteed. Life should not be about wasting time. It's, you know, it's, you need to actually live and cherish what you've got and appreciate what you've got and not, you know, worry about like, well, you know, I'm not um, advancing my career. So I'm wasting my time or my apartment's not clean. I'm wasting my time. Like just little things like that. It's not about that stuff. It's about the people in your life. It's about the love that you have. And it's about the friendships that you make. All those things are vastly more important than your nine to five that you log into every day. So actually one of my favorite parts of the novel, uh, that kind of talks about this issue is when staff writes, she had always believed that life was what slipped through her fingers while she was idle. That life was something she wasted, not something she had. But now she understood how wrong she'd been. Her heartbeat, 
Her lungs swelled with air. Life was here, right in front of her. Beautiful. Yeah, there's all kinds of points like that. One of the ones that I have highlighted is, you have given so much to those around you, I wonder what you may discover if you showed the same gentleness to yourself. Will you find out for both of us? Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, B. (laughs) Does that hit close to home, B? Stop. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think it was Caitlin that said, like, Allison Staff, like, knows the girlies. Yeah. In one of my updates, I said, if there's one thing Allison Saft is going to do, it's expose the girlies. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's the truth. Like, this novel really felt like Allison Saft, like, cracked my head open and, like, put all of my thoughts on the page. While terrifying, it's also, like, kind of relaxing to read about someone else going through this. And so beautiful to see your experience yeah. reflected in somebody else. Yeah, it, it it's always, like, refreshing and, and beautiful to, like, feel like you're not alone. So, yeah, I just really, really love this book. It's Regency romance. It's got a little bit of political intrigue. It's got scandal and secrecy. It's got lovable characters who are all queer. All of There's them. There's not a single non-queer person. Amazing. All of them. All of them. Including the two leads. Yeah, the two leads, even, are all queer. It's perfect. And even, like, the small, like, even minor characters, like Kit's brother and his wife, like, they all have depth to them, no matter how little they're on the page. And I just love that. And even the magic system was really unique. They all kind of have their different nuances. So, yeah, just all of this put together, like, it all weaves this fantastic story. And I would highly recommend that everyone pick it up when it releases I obviously, like, want to thank NetGalley and, like, everybody on her publishing team for even looking at my profile and being like, yes, that one, she gets the arc because I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I would get picked for this because, you know, like, over the last couple of months, like, Allison Saft has, like, went wild. Like, everyone's reading her books. Everyone's picking them up. No, no. When I applied, it felt like a pipe dream. I was like, no fucking way. So I just, I hope I did the book justice. I hope that... After hearing what I had to say, you want to read it. I love both of Allison Saf's books that came out before this, and I love this one, but I think this one might be my favorite. But I say that knowing that A Dark and Drowning Tide isn't out yet, so... Are these books... I haven't read any of Allison Saf's books. Are are they, like, somewhat related in the same universe or not at all? No, no. they are all complete okay. standalones. Yeah, Because they kind of sound like yeah. they could be. For the, from vibes only, I have a feeling they could be. They're actually, so I don't know if Chris and I do a really good job of explaining really how different these books feel in tone and in context. Like the world of Danu and Vesria from uh, Down Comes the Night is completely different from a world of, of Far Wilder Magic. Down Comes the Night feels like winter. A Far Wilder Magic feels like fall. And a Fragile Enchantment feels like spring. I can't explain it any other way. That is how these books differ from one another. And they all deal, they're not just there to be like this cutesy romance that fills the time either. She tries very hard to address these issues that you have within yourself, your your own self-worth issues, but also like world issues that are outside of your control. Mm-hmm. A Far Wilder Magic deals with religious persecution. Down Comes the Night deals with this endless war that these people find themselves in and what kind of impact that has on citizens and a fragile enchantment it's very coded um b it's very much coded like irish revolution 
the Irish rebelling against the British and kind of pushing back against this oppressive government that's been ruling over them for a while and being seen as second-class citizens and not having as many rights. It's just... Can't tell you the face I'm making right now. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that this wasn't an audio medium so I could scream because of how... I just love Alison Sass books so fucking much. So much. Yeah, she's really good about, like, weaving, like, political issues. Political issues that we deal with right now and putting them, like, in a fantastical world and, like, but making it feel authentic. Like, it doesn't feel forced. No, not at all. And her books have, like... Just enough magic in them that, like, you don't feel like you're struggling to... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, okay, the biz... I know t- two out of four of us haven't read it, but, like, it's not like reading House of Earth and Blood, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, where you're struggling to, like, figure out what the heck is going on. Like, Allison Saff takes, like, minimal magic and puts it in there, and it's very refreshing. That's sometimes, like, why I don't like picking up new fantasy books anymore, Mm -hmm. because, like, I feel like I'm struggling to keep up with the world building and how your magic system works. You don't have to worry about that with Allison Sapp. Nope. Everything's easy and simple. Like, hey, guess what? Neve can sew magic and memories and feelings in in the clothes. And that's it. That's all you have to know. Not to mention this book every episode, but it reminds me of Uprooted and uh, Spinning Silver. Yeah, There's a different magic system for every book, but... It's not like big enough for for it to be intimidating for you no. or as a first reader. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's very and it's very much like this magic is very seamlessly integrated in a way that like she's not over explaining it. Some some fantasy novels really suffer from over explaining their magic system and trying to justify things that really don't need to be justified at all. Things that the reader could infer on their own. The shapeshift, okay. Okay, cool. Got next. it. Um, next. You don't need to explain to me how it works or what the particulars are or what triggers it. I don't give a shit. That is enough of an explanation. Sometimes fantasy novels can fall into this trap where it feels almost like you're learning a language, not a magic system. Yes. And Alison Saff's novels are not like that. It, Uprooted is a great comparison where like the magic is there and it's definitely a, an integral part of the story, but it's not over-explained and it's not complicated in a way that would turn away the average reader. Another, like, good example, and I know that there's, like, conflicting reviews about this book, but the uh, Serpent and Dove series by Shelby Mahurin is another good example of, like, simple magic systems where, like, nothing's really explained, but, like, it's easy to pick up on. They're witches, they use, like, blood magic. Like, it's not hard to figure out. I feel like if you're somebody who, which if you're listening to this, you probably don't have this problem. But if you're someone who's, like, struggling to get into fantasy books, like, Alison South is a good place to start because her books are, like, very beginner-friendly. If you've never dabbled in fantasy before, it's a good place to start. They're also really fucking good, so. Yeah, I mean, they're amazing. Like, I didn't even talk about, like, her prose and, like, her characters. Like, everything is just so well put together. And I haven't even talked about, but, like, the cover of this book is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It is. And all of her covers are like that. I am just so happy that I got to read this early and everything. And I hope that when it comes out in January, you guys will read it and everybody that's listening will read it because it deserves every bit of praise that me and Caitlin have given it already. This is just convincing me. I was uh, thinking of reading A Far Wilder Magic next, and this is just convincing me that Do I it. need to. Do it. Do my it. Next read. Do it. And then after that, read Down Comes a Night. I think A Far Wilder Magic will be your favorite, lady. 
Yay. Oh, I did too. This is the only one I own so far. It's kind of funny because, like, these, the three that books that are out, they very much fall into, like... One Kristen, one Caitlyn, one Lady. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you can look at the cover and tell which one the person's gonna like. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Caitlyn, I heard you had a game or a question for us. I have a question, and we're pivoting back to horror. I'm so sorry. Hell yeah. We have that lovely, beautiful, enlightening love story, and we're moving back into horror. The scaries. So this is a little bit off-brand for us and kind of toes the line between books and movies slash TV shows or other, you know, horror-related media. But I want to know, because it's October, when we're recording and when you will be listening to this, I want to know what your favorite, like, horror tropes are or, like, what your favorite movie monster, basically what your favorite movie monster, book monster, or horror tropes are. I am a found footage bitch. Yep, me too. Give me all the found footage. Like, yes. <laughs> like VHS, uh, paranormal activity, uh, grave encounters, all that stuff. Hell I House eat it up LLC. Every single time. Yes, Hell House LLC. Watch it this October. It's a masterpiece. So good. Creep. If you're not into paranormal found footage, Creep is a fucking fantastic found footage movie. If you're looking for a book format, I recommend The Supernatural Enhancements by Edgar Cantero. That is a non-standard form novel where it is told through, like, audio descriptions from, like, recordings. It's told through video transcriptions, uh, diary entries, notes, that kind of thing. If you're in Warm Page Library, you may see this book come up soon. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us were uh, exposed to horror far too early in our lives um <laughs> me too not me but it had the opposite effect we, well but some of us were exposed on a vacation with like a whole room of people we didn't know that our parents were like go hang out with these kids and you were like i don't know these kids and they had you watch scream when you were seven and then you had to go back to the beach house and your friend took allergy medicine and was like knocked out and you were just awake all night and um so some of us had that experience <laughs> I watched it when I was like a very, 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 very small child. And for a really long time, I was petrified to stand over the shower drain. I would not do it. Yeah. Because of that movie. We're talking like almost a decade of my life. Yeah. I have memories of like Chucky. And- yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, it had the opposite effect on me where I was like, I love this shit. I love being scared. This is great. It's so funny that B had that experience with Scream because I also had an experience with Scream. Like, my mom let me watch it way too early. And it, like, made me obsessed with horror movies. Like, to this day, like, Scream is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And I don't know, maybe... So B is normal and Kristen and I are fucked well, up. Well, but, so, well, the, the Irish, right? Like, I grew up with all of the traditional Irish tales. So, like, the guilt associated with a lot of, like, Irish Catholic families and the guilt associated with, like, no, really a fucking, like, banshee, if you hear it, you're gonna die. <laughs> like, I had that from, like, day one. So I grew up with uh, probably just conditioning that I should be worried and afraid. But I also just, w- the, when you thought it, when you brought this up, Caitlin, like, I was thinking of, like, what, what, <laughs> what could work for me? And it didn't work for me, but I all of a sudden thought of, there's this horrendous movie. I think it was on the Disney Channel, but it's called Under Wraps. Yes! And I yeah. just immediately in my head popped in the mummy dude, 
literally dancing to the song all by myself. <laughs> and, and I only bring that up because I was like, oh, great. We're going to talk about horror. And like, eh, I'm not a big fan of horror and I'll just be all by myself. And then that popped in my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll pencil you down for mummies. <laughs> Lady, what's yours? I'm the I'm kind of like the horror bitch in here, but I don't watch horror movies. I'm just a horror books and animation and podcasts bitch. I don't watch horror movies at all. I don't know why, just never grabbed my attention. And still I'd say my favorite trope or no, my favorite genre of horror would be Japanese horror, obviously. I am a big Junji Ito fan, like Uzumaki is a must read for me, I read it every year. Have you read the audition? No. I've seen the movie, but I've never read the book. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's it's really creepy. Ooh. It's like a guy holds an audition. I can't remember what the premise of the audition is, but it's basically like he's trying to find a wife. And the girl who like nails the audition is fucking psycho. There's a scene where she's like answering the phone with his call saying like, basically like you got the job, but it's really like he's going to uh, like woo her. But Oof. in during that scene, she's on the phone with him, like talking all bubbly and being all cute. While in the background, there is a big white canvas bag that very clearly has someone inside of it, like moving around on the floor in oh, the back. Great. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really fucked up and really. Honestly, good. the last horror movie I remember watching was A Tale of Two Sisters, the Korean version. Which <laughs> I mean, that was a while ago. So like, I'm really not a horror person, like horror movies. But like, give me any body horror, Japanese fucked up shit, or like psychological horror. I really, really like like anything that like fucks you up and like keeps you from sleeping, not because it's too gory, but just because it's too fucked up. That's my shit. Excellent. So we all have our own problems that we <laughs> need to deal with. Let's not mm -hmm. psychoanalyze what we just talked about here. Let's just move forward. We could, because some of the horror shit that Kristen and I have gushed over, it's like you need to go to an institution. Immediately mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. For a variety of reasons. I tell you what, I, I cannot handle a lot of the, like, old institutional like institutionalized spaces like anything that deals with haunted psych wards and stuff like that i'm just like nope nope oh those Walk are my favorite right the fuck out nope <laughs> like <laughs> every time i'm like yes give it to me all right let's not psychoanalyze any of these let's end the episode before we get started on psychoanalyzing yes please you can find us at Red in the Dark Pod on Instagram and Tumblr. Our email is redinthedarkpod at gmail.com if you want to ask a question about any of the books we discussed on this episode. We also have a book club. You can find us at Warren Page Library on Instagram and Tumblr, which will have details on how to join our Discord. Finally, we are hosting some challenges on Storygraph through the book club, which you can find by searching Warren Page Library's Book of the Month and Warren Page Library's 23 for 2023 in the challenges section of the app. Caitlin's book was Camp Damascus by Chuck Tingle, and Kristen's book was A Fragile Enchantment by Alison Saft. The books we mentioned in today's episode were Bury Your Gaze and Other Works by Chuck Tingle, The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home by Jeffrey Kaner and Joseph Fink, The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green, The Captive Prince by C.S. Picot, Prince of the Sorrows by Kellen Graves, Stalking Jack the Ripper by Carrie Maniscalco, House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Moss, Uprooted by Naomi Novik, 
The Supernatural Enhancements by Edgar Cantero, and Uzumaki by Junji Ito. Our next episode will come out on November 7th. Keep reading, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.